0: season, we are encountered with extravagant merriment and goodwill towards those around us. The holidays allow us to see each other as one and put our griefs aside to celebrate the life we are currently living. So, in this season of giving, I have decided to give you three stories in one episode. A journey of Christmas and its many iterations. As you listen to these stories, Sit and reflect on what Christmas or the holidays mean to you. And I look forward to you cozying amongst the fire and sipping on that hot cocoa as we journey the river on Riverside Readings, a dramatic reading radio show hosted by me, Trent Miley. Without further ado, here are A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Seymour The Elves and the Shoemaker by the Brothers Grimm And A Letter from Santa Claus by Mark Twain had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When... What to my wondering eyes should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky, So up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and turned around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk Was a shoemaker who worked very hard and was very honest. But still, he could not earn enough to live on. And at last, all he had in the world was gone, save just leather enough to make one pair of shoes. Then he cut his leather out, all ready to make up the next day, meaning to rise early in the morning to his work. His conscience was clear, and his heart light amidst all the troubles. So he went peacefully to bed, left all his cares to heaven, and soon fell asleep. In the morning, after he said his prayers, he sat himself down to his work, when to his great wonder, The shoes were already made upon the table, The good man knew not what to say or think at such an odd thing happening. He looked at the workmanship. There was not one false stitch in the whole job. All was so neat and true that it was quite a masterpiece. The same day, a customer came in. And the shoes suited him so well that he willingly paid a price higher than usual for them. And the poor shoemaker, with the money, bought leather enough to make two pairs more. In the evening, he cut out the work and went to bed early, that he might get up and begin betimes next day. But he was saved all the trouble, for when he got up in the morning, the work was ready to his hand. Soon in came buyers who paid him handsomely for his goods, so that he bought leather enough for four pairs more. He cut out the work again overnight, and found it done in the morning, so before. So this went on for some time. What was ready in the evening was always done by daybreak and the good man soon became thriving and well off again. One evening, about Christmas time, as he and his wife were sitting over the fire chatting together, he said to her, I should like to sit up and watch tonight that we may see who it is that comes and does my work for me. The wife liked the thought So they left a light burning, hid themselves in the corner of the room behind a curtain hung up there and watched what would happen. As soon as it was midnight, there came in two little naked dwarves. They sat themselves upon the shoemaker's bench, took up all the work that was cut out and began to ply with their little fingers stitching and wrapping and tapping away at such a rate that the shoemaker was all wonder and could not take his eyes off them and on they went till the job was quite done and the shoes stood ready for use upon the table this was long before daybreak and then they bustled away as quick as lightning the next day "'The wife said to the shoemaker, "'These little whites have made us rich, "'and we ought to be thankful to them "'and do them a good turn if we can. "'I am quite sorry to see them run about as they do. "'Indeed, it is not very decent, "'for they have nothing to keep off the cold on their backs. So I'll tell you what. "'I will make each of them a shirt, coat, "'waistcoat, and a pair of pantaloons into the bargain. "'And do you make each of them a little pair of shoes?' "'The thought pleased the good cobbler very much, "'and one evening, when all the things were ready, "'they laid them on the table "'instead of the work that they used to cut out, "'and then went and hid themselves "'to watch what the little elves would do. "'About midnight they came, dancing and skipping, hopped around the room, and then went to sit down to their work as usual. But when they saw the clothes lying for them, they laughed and chuckled and seemed mightily delighted. Then they dressed themselves in the twinkling of an eye and danced and capered and sprang about as merry as could be, till at last they danced out at the door and away over the green. The good couple saw them no more, but everything went well with them from that time forward, as long as they lived. St. Nicholas in the Moon Christmas Morning My dear Susie Clemens, I have received and read all the letters which you and your little sister have written me by the hand of your mother and your nurses. I have also read those which you little people have written me with your own hands. For although you did not use any characters that are in grown people's alphabet, you used the characters that all children in all lands on earth and in the twinkling stars use. And as all my subjects in the moon are children and use no character with that, you will easily understand that I can read your and your baby sister's jagged and fantastic marks without any trouble at all. But I had trouble with those letters which you dictated through your mother and the nurses. For I'm a foreigner and cannot read English writing well you will find that I made no mistake about the things which you and the baby ordered in your own letters. I went down your chimney at midnight when you were asleep and delivered them all myself. And kissed both of you too because you are good children. Well trained, nice mannered, and about the most obedient little people I ever saw. But in the letter which you dictated. There were some words which I could not make out for certain. And one or two small orders which I could not fill because we ran out of stock. Our last lot of kitchen furniture for dolls had just gone to a very poor little child in the North Star away up. In the cold country. Above the big dipper. Your mama can show you that star. And you will say. Little snowflake. For that is the child's name. I'm glad. You got that furniture. For you need it more than I. That is. You must write that. With your own hand. And snowflake will write you an answer. If you only spoke it. She wouldn't hear you. Make your letter light and thin, for the distance is great, and the postage is very heavy. There was a word or two in your mama's letter, which I couldn't be certain of. I took it to be a trunk full of dolls' clothes. Is that it? I I will call at your kitchen door about nine o'clock this morning to inquire, but... I must not see anybody, and I must not speak to anybody but you. When the kitchen doorbell rings, George must be blindfolded and sent to open the door. Then, he must go back to the dining room or the china closet and take the cook with him. You must tell George he must walk on tiptoe and not speak. Otherwise, he will die someday. Then, you must go up to the nursery and stand on a chair or the nurse's bed and put your card to the speaking tube that leads down to the kitchen. And when I whistle through it, You must speak in the tube and say, Welcome, Santa Claus. Then I will ask whether it was a trunk you ordered or not. If you say it was, I shall ask you what color you want the trunk to be. Your mama will help you to name a nice color. And then you must tell me every single thing in detail which you want the trunk to contain. Then when I say goodbye and Merry Christmas to my little Susie Clemens, you must say goodbye, good old Santa Claus. I thank you very much and please tell that little snowflakes I will look at her star tonight and she must look down here. I will be right in the West Bay window, and every fine night, I will look at her star and say, I know somebody up there, and like her too. Then, you must go down into the library, and make George close all the doors that open into the main hall, and everybody must keep still for a little while. I will go to the moon, And get those things and in a few minutes i will come down the chimney that belongs to the fireplace that is in the hall if it is a trunk you want because i couldn't get such a thing as a trunk down the nursery chimney you know people may talk if they want until they hear my footsteps in the hall then you tell them to keep quiet a little while "'Till I go back up the chimney. "'Maybe you will not hear my footsteps at all. "'So you may now go, "'and then and peep through the dining room doors, "'and by and by you will see that thing which you want, "'right under the piano in the drawing room, "'for I shall put it there. "'If I should leave any snow in the hall, "'you must tell George to sweep it into the fireplace.' for I haven't time to do such things. George must not use a broom, but a rag, else he will die someday. You must watch George and not let him run into danger. If my boot should leave a stain on the marble, George must not highly stone it away. Leave it there, always in memory of my visit. And whenever you look at it or show it to anybody, you must let it remind you to be a good little girl. Whenever you are naughty and somebody points to that mark which your good old Santa Claus's boot made on the marble, What will you say, little sweetheart? Goodbye for a few minutes, till I come down to the world and ring the kitchen doorbell. Your loving Santa Claus, whom people sometimes call the man in the moon. As we continue on into Christmas, I wanted to give a thank you to Andre Previn and the London Symphony Orchestra for providing the music for this episode. I also wanted to thank and send a special Merry Christmas to my family and friends who fill my heart with a never-ending bucket of warmth. And of course, to you, the listener, for without you, None of this would be remotely possible. From your host, Trent Miley, Happy Holidays and a Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.